G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. We're going to turn our attention today to the developing issues and the threats to Australia's freedoms. Now, sometimes it's easier to understand how serious the threat is when we see ourselves in the context of other nations where freedoms have already been dashed. Things like the global pandemic, rumours of wars, religious nationalism and natural disasters all give governments opportunities to seize and deepen authoritarian powers. The recent International Religious Freedom Summit held in the US capital, Washington DC, had more than a thousand attendees and it was sponsored by the international advocacy and aid organisation Barnabas Fund. Our attention today is on a context for our freedoms in Australia in light of global developments. Our special guest is Ashley Saunders. Ashley is CEO of Barnabas Fund in Australia, working to provide hope and aid for the persecuted church from Christians to Christians through Christians. Ashley Saunders, a special welcome back to 2020. Uh, Thank you, Neil. It's great to be with you and great to be with your listeners around the country. Ashley, let's talk about where we might think religious freedom is at in the debate right now in Australia. So as you have a broad, uh, big brush stroke across what's happening right now and with your understanding of what's going on around the world, where are we at? We're at a very vulnerable position right now because uh, depending upon what happens in, I guess, the next little while, Uh, we could either find ourselves in a position where our freedoms are entrenched and reinforced or we could find ourselves in a position where uh, we are even more vulnerable. And uh, when you look at other countries, uh, we we could discuss a range of things, but we need to make sure that there are good laws, we need to make sure that there are good systems and institutions, and we need to make sure that there is good um, intent on the part of those who, of governments and others who enforce laws to make sure that good laws are properly enforced. So if we're talking about where we're at now, listeners, of course, will be aware we went through the marriage vote uh, just a few years ago, and at the time it was promised that if the definition of marriage changes, there'll be protection for those who are uh, of a religious persuasion, and uh, most particularly Christians who were on the no side of that vote. So the promise was there that there would be protections for religious freedom. And we've been waiting now for years. The likelihood is that there's something going to break soon, perhaps before the next election. And I think everyone will be hoping that's the case. But here we are. We're in a vulnerable situation, as you say, without protections for religious freedom. Uh, Yes, that's right. And uh, even amongst, I guess, one of the things that makes it very difficult from a political perspective is that even amongst the Christian community, there would be a difference of view about some people who would say we need good um, religious discrimination laws to protect our freedom, uh, right through to the other people who would say uh, we don't need those laws 
we don't want uh, that kind of legislation. And so uh, there is a, a broad uh, scope of views in the Christian community, um, but there is a concern that whatever happens, we need to make sure that religious freedoms are preserved because they're so important. Uh, it's one of the first uh, fundamental human rights that's been recognised internationally uh, as long ago as the 1940s. We're talking here, aren't we, about not only the freedom to be religious, but to even have those thoughts, because the idea of trying to stamp out Christianity or the idea of introducing uh, laws that will actually silence those who want to be Christians means that you won't be able to believe what you want to believe and tell someone about it. So the idea of sharing the gospel in a free way, that's actually under threat. Uh, Perhaps going back to what you said, I'm not sure that being able to believe something is under threat, but the second part is that part about being able to share that with somebody. Um, it's very important not just to be able to have a belief, but it's important to make sure that that belief can be practised uh, in society. It's important that, that that belief can be lived out in public rather than just being a private thing behind closed doors. It's very important as part of uh, religious freedom that there is also the right to critique um, other faiths or uh, other worldviews that are uh, perhaps atheistic worldviews. So whether it's another religious worldview or an atheistic worldview, it's important uh, in society for people of those views to critique Christianity and for people of Christian faith to be able to critique others. So it's about believing, it's about living out in public and the right to critique. And what about this idea that if you want to change the belief or the thinking of the next generation. You say this, you can't stop people from believing one thing or another, but if you stop them from having access to an understanding of what they ought to believe, uh, then you are going to actually control the thinking of the next generation. So there is a certain sense in which you're silencing religious belief, actually about controlling the next generation. Uh, yes, and to take it further, and this is an example in China, where uh, although there are laws that uh, inhibit religious freedom, there's also coercive conduct by the state. And so uh, they are uh, increasingly in China looking at uh, what people do, how people live, um, CCTV cameras, uh, knowing where you spend your money, all those kinds of things with a view to, um, they would say, encouraging people uh, to live in ways that the state approves. So uh, I'm talking there about coercive conduct. And so how does that apply in Australia? Well, yes, there's the question of law, but there's also the question of uh, coercive conduct. So if, for example, there is uh, a freedom of religion, but um, uh, somehow or other in the employment sphere, um, my freedom to hold and express my views is restricted by coercive conduct, then again it pushes it down and uh, you, you end up, instead of with a, a publicly lived faith, you have a private religion uh, that is nothing like uh, what Jesus was on about and nothing what, like what the Bible advocates. There's China as an example, and uh, we'll try and get some context as we talk about a number of nations this morning. What other nations come to mind for you where there is this dashing of religious freedom? Perhaps they had some religious freedom in the past, 
Certain circumstances have led to government control and this coercive way of uh, causing people to think differently or uh, to admire the government and not have a religious uh, freedom in that sense. What other nations come to mind for you, Ashley? Well, Well, let me just give a couple of examples of different ways in which freedoms are under threat. So first of all, in Pakistan... Uh, there are the anti-blasphemy laws, which has become a way of people uh, really silencing those Christians they disagree with, a way of settling scores. Because in Pakistan, even the allegation of blasphemy means that there is a charge you are taking before the court. You know, even though Asia Bibi's been freed, even though a few months ago a, a Christian couple was freed from death row, there are at least five Christians on death row uh, in Pakistan now for blasphemy. Uh, there are some uh, 20 Christians at least uh, in prison on such charges. And, you know, over the last few years, um, some 15 Christians have been murdered even before their matter went before the court. Now, I'm using that as an example because uh, it's not in a sense um, government Uh, influenced like it is in China, the the previous example I gave, but the law being there, the institutions of society uh, are are then, in a sense, used to gang up on Christians. Um, And uh, and so it it really is uh, one example. Uh, The other example is slightly different again, and that's Nigeria, where there is uh, religious freedom in law. Um, But in practice, uh, the terrible things that are happening by Boko Haram, the, the, what's starting to be called genocide by Fulani militants, uh, is, is about targeting those um, uh, ethnicities who primarily identify as Christians, uh, and it's being talked about as extermination and genocide while the government does nothing. And so uh, there's coercive conduct, there's the institutions of society, but there's also the very important need for um, the arms of government to enforce the good laws that exist uh, if they do exist. And so that's the context. And all of these, uh, I guess, are things that we need to look at here in Australia. Well, as we'll often say on this program and various guests, uh, you know, it starts with a silencing of your enemies and then it comes to an elimination of your enemies. And so the idea of resisting authoritarianism rising early is the way to preserve those freedoms. Uh, Coming back to, and we might come back to uh, those Fulani herdsmen and the things that are happening in Nigeria, but when you mentioned the idea of blasphemy laws, some will be going, oh, what a relief. We don't have blasphemy laws in Australia, but now we do. In Victoria, the conversion therapy laws that come into effect next February will mean that Christians won't be able to in any way try and dissuade someone from pursuing some level of uh, transsexual change. So for people with any unwanted same-sex attraction, they are in fact going to be at the whim of someone who might make an allegation. And so like a blasphemy law, be drawn before the courts. Same sort of thing likely to happen in Queensland under the euthanasia legislation, whereas I understand it, there's a clause in what is being decided now before Queenslanders vote on this in September, the idea that a Christian won't be able to talk someone out of committing suicide. Now, these things sound ridiculous, but they are, in fact, laws coming into place that will give people a weaponized way of using that against Christians. These are here already, aren't they, Ashley? Uh, yes, they are, and uh, they're coming. Um 
another example is uh, the Northern Territory um, uh, legislation where uh, the idea of a doctor having a conscientious objection uh, to um, uh, to the law means that that doctor has to pass um, the person on to someone else who he knows doesn't have uh, a conscientious objection. So where's where's the conscientious objection in that? Uh, I, I'm I'm not able to actually refer you um, uh, for an abortion, for example. Um, uh, I, I I won't counsel you in that regard, but I must refer you to somebody else. And so these, these this is about coercion and silencing. Um, and there's a range of agendas. What's important? Uh, I know, Neil, that I've mentioned this previously when I've been with you, uh, and that is in the suburb where I live, uh, there is a takeaway shop in the local shopping centre run uh, by a Muslim couple. Now, nobody says that they should be forced to sell pig products. They don't sell any pig products. Uh, It's not consistent with their faith. And nobody that I know of suggests that they should be forced to. Um, why should that not be the community attitude where Christians are concerned and people of all faiths and none? Um, and so there seems to be this this uh, different standard that's applied that somehow or other Christianity uh, is the oppressor and you've got to be silenced uh, and the whole range of other uh, minorities need to be uh, highlighted. Visions 2020 with Neil Johnson, a biblical perspective on life, culture, and current events. Wonderful to have you with us. 1-800-316-316 to join in our conversation. Our special guest is Ashley Saunders, CEO of Barnabas Fund in Australia. Taking calls, let's take a call from Sterling, who is in Ararat in Victoria. Hello, Sterling. Welcome along. Hi, Neil. Can you hear me all right? I can hear you fine. What are your thoughts, Sterling? Oh, good. It's just a reception out here is dreadful sometimes. Hey, listen, just two quick points. In relation to when the marriage equality bill was before Parliament and then we were told that there will be religious freedoms law coming to protect, you know, Christians most notably, I saw the way Israel Folau and Margaret Court were treated even before the bill had entered Parliament and I sort of thought, is this a sign of things to come? On one side, they want the bill to go through, but on the other side, they're saying, but we will protect you in your religion. Well, we weren't even seeing it back then, right? Yeah, that's right. My second, my second point is you were saying, Neil, that uh, on your Facebook, you're asking the question, should Christians be sacked for what they post on social media? Well, I'd like to know, should Muslims be sacked for quoting the Quran on social media, especially in relation to homosexuality. Let's get a thought or two from Ashley. Ashley, your thoughts for Sterling? My thought, thank you, Sterling, for ringing up. Um, religious freedom really needs to apply across the board. And uh, and uh, it's very important in this uh, discussion that we recognise, and I think I already have in a, an earlier contribution, that uh, whereas uh, I come from a Christian perspective and Vision Radio comes from a Christian perspective, uh, the idea of uh, freedom to hold religious belief uh, is important across the the board. It's important to not only hold it but to live it out, and and I think I mentioned before, to critique. And so it's important for for Christians to be able to critique Islam or for Christians to be able to critique an atheistic, secular, humanist worldview – uh, that's that's a very important part 
of living out your religious freedom. Sterling, does that answer your thought or two there? Yeah, thanks, Neil. Just one last thing is in relation to this, uh, the way things are, like we, as I said, we saw what happened to Easy Flower and, and, and Margaret Court. Um, you know, it's getting to the point where you, you'll keep your beliefs to yourself for fear of the persecution. But this also opens up a door for people to actively come to Christians and go, what are your thoughts on uh, homosexuality? And, and, and sort of almost like entrapment. Uh, those possibilities could be there. Another thought or two from uh, from Ashley. Uh, yes, and we've already seen in a political sense that um, uh, politicians who identify as Christian are, um, are targeted for the asking of questions about what they believe on certain issues that might be against uh, the secular norm in society uh, to try and pinhole them and to try and use that as an attack. Um, in the last federal election, for example, um, shortly before election day, uh, there was an attack on Scott Morrison's Christianity. Now, that attack would not have been there unless those uh, of his political opponents who were doing the attack believed that that was something that was likely to give them traction and would be likely to work against Scott Morrison. Now, this is not a partisan comment. This is a comment about those who have uh, Christian views and those um, who don't have uh, religious views and the way that they're targeted. Uh, yes, it's about silencing. And you're right, Sterling, that if if your views are silenced, uh, then what you end up with, and I think I said this before, is more of a private religion rather than a public faith. And uh, the Bible advocates a public faith. Sterling, thank you so much for your call. Talk back line open, 1-800-316-316. Let's take another call. David is in Murray Bridge in South Australia. Hi, David. Welcome. G'day, and uh, thanks for taking my call. Um, I'm a street preacher, and uh, I believe this, um, um, this sort of persecution started way back when. Um, some time ago, before the laws... Uh, some time ago, I've been arrested twice uh, for preaching in the street. Um, they come up and they say, we've received a complaint, and uh, I, I challenge them, and twice it's gone to court, and twice, praise God, it's been thrown out. But um, this has been happening for a long, long, long time now. Um, somebody just has to make a complaint. Uh, the law says that the police have to receive three complaints, but it seems they came at me with only one complaint. And, uh, uh, I, like I say, I thank God that, uh, it was thrown out, um, because, um, um, because of a technicality. But, uh, if David, you don't know, if you don't know what you're doing, you can, you can get into awful strife. David, you are elevated in our estimation because you have gone through that level of persecution. Being a street preacher, someone who is wanting to proclaim the name of Christ, and then being persecuted to the point of arrest and going through the courts. Uh, well done to you. Let's get a thought or two from Ashley. Uh, thank you uh, for your call and thank you for your comment and thanks for your courage. Uh, those who follow international events would know that street preachers are particularly uh, at risk in the UK where they are regularly um, uh, apprehended, sometimes with great force, uh, but thankfully uh, they also have... Uh, good success when it goes before the court. Uh, bringing it back home, 
Uh, one of the questions that I'm uh, often asked when uh, I speak somewhere is whether there is persecution in Australia. And my answer uh, is that regardless of whether there's persecution, uh, there is certainly prosecution, that the mechanisms of law are increasingly being used to uh, silence Christian witness and to silence dissent from what might be increasingly the cultural norms. You know, if uh, if going back 40, 50, 60 years ago when uh, when Christianity was the, um, the, the faith that was at the centre of the public square, if Christianity had um, opposed and shut down all alternate views, uh, one, we wouldn't have been consistent with what Christ said, but secondly, we would have been criticised um, roundly. Uh, these days, increasingly, the anti-Christian worldview uh, is intolerant uh, of any views of dissent, uh, including Christian worldviews. And David, you're in good company with the likes of Peter and John and the apostles, so uh, keep up the great work as a street preacher. David, thank you so much for your call. 1-800-316-316 to join in our conversation today. And our special guest is Ashley Saunders. Ashley, you can talk about these international uh, issues that are rising. Uh, uh, let's quickly touch on this uh, major religious freedom uh, summit that was in Washington in America. The uh, uh, Barnabas Fund was the sponsor of that. What was the outcome of it? Uh, well, it was there was no specific outcome as such. It was attended very well. It was not a government-led summit. It was a civil society-led summit. Uh, it was either bipartisan or nonpartisan. But I will make this comment, and that is it was specifically called the International Summit or the International Freedom of Religion Summit, because the idea was um, you are not to talk about what is happening in the United States. This is a summit to talk about what's happening in other places. And so uh, issues in parts of China and the, the Arab world and, uh, and in Africa, all of those things could be discussed, and the legal mechanisms or the, the lack of legal mechanisms that lead to persecution, that was all on the table. But don't you talk about whether religious freedom is at risk in the United States. Right, because then it becomes a partisan issue and you'll divide all of those who are represented at the summit because then all of a sudden you have to take sides. So there is a way to approach discussion about religious freedom that we might increasingly need to participate in. Yes, and it is legitimate to discuss what is happening in other parts of the world, but it's also important to discuss what's happening in your own neck of the woods. Uh, as we in Australia would say. And yes, sometimes if we were to point to China or North Korea or Pakistan's blasphemy laws or parts of Africa, if we were to point to those things, there are people in Australia who would ridicule that there is any similarity at all. And in fact, uh, on the question of whether there is persecution in Australia, I come across uh, three groups of people, some who say, yes, there, there already is, uh, those who say, no, there's not, or a third group that is so uh, even opposed to the idea of the question being framed. Uh, and so uh, they're the, they're the and, and I'm talking there about people from a Christian worldview perspective. And so um, we need to look at what's happening in other countries, but we also need to carefully critique uh, what is happening or what is not happening in our own country. We need to look at whether it is okay for uh, somebody at university to hold to a Christian worldview. 
uh, and to espouse that, uh, to pray with someone at their request or with their agreement. Those kinds of practices that are increasingly um, under threat so that, as one of you callers said, uh, you end up being silenced. You end up just, in a sense, not not letting people know. Well, what good is a religious worldview or a Christian worldview? What good is religious freedom if it's only something that I can do in the privacy of my own home? Ashley, let's come back to the international context because Asia Bibi, and uh, we've been talking about her for a decade or more, uh, the Pakistani lady who was arrested because uh, I think she used a cup that was only supposed to be used for Muslims. She was arrested. She was sentenced to death. She was on death row. There was an international outcry, and eventually she was released. Uh, But there's big things around that blasphemy laws and how nations see nations and how peoples within nations coerce one another. What are your thoughts around what's happened with Asia Bibi since then? Well, you might remember, and many of your listeners would remember, that when in October of 2018 she was released by the highest court in the land of Pakistan, there were riots in the street. The judges needed extra security. The lawyer, a courageous Muslim man who was acting for her, he needed to leave the country for some time because his life was at risk. And so even though the court had spoken, even though the highest court in the land had said there is no credible evidence against her, this is a frame, um, the people in the street, the mob rule, uh, in a sense, didn't recognise that. And so we can talk about laws and we can talk about institutions and we can talk about government will. We also need to talk about the fear of the mob. Now, it's interesting that uh, Asia Bibi has now, uh, with her family, uh, found refuge in Canada. She's been resettled there. Uh, But uh, what I find interesting is that she found refuge in Canada after a number of other countries, including England, I understand, had refused to have her resettled in those countries because of the fear of a Muslim uprising. It's probably worth saying that again. Although she found refuge in Canada, there were other countries, including England, that would not resettle her because of a fear of an uprising. Now, that talks about um, the fear of the mob. That talks about not, not the rule of law. Now, in liberal democracy was formed, and I know that this sounds like a bit of an esoteric legal debate, but was founded on the idea that law rules, that law is king. Uh, whereas what we're increasingly seeing, we saw in Pakistan when she was released, the mob didn't respect the ruling. We saw that she wasn't resettled because of fear of the mob. And so the idea of the fear of the mob uh, is increasingly a part of an issue that we cannot divorce from the idea of the, the freedom to hold and express beliefs. Some will say, thank God we don't have vigilantes on the streets with mob law, uh, their own law in their own right. But what we do have here in Australia, and I'll get your thoughts here, even if the government makes effective legislation that protects religious freedoms, that might not stop what's happening with the movement of big tech. And uh, sometimes we talk about big states and uh, the ways that uh, those sorts of things may well be ignored and mob rule through media and through uh, social media uh, may well still continue in Australia, even if the government does legislate religious freedom. Uh, Yes, because uh, fear is a powerful weapon. And um, uh, the politics of fear is uh, especially uh, powerful. 
and uh, and you know, what are the defences to that? Uh, you know, is there is there the will? Uh, changing the tack entirely, but I uh, I heard only yesterday a comment about uh, the situation deteriorating in Afghanistan. And by the way, there are many Christians who are fleeing Afghanistan, and Barnabas Fund has got um, a special appeal out to help. Christians who are fleeing Afghanistan, but on the question of that country and the the rise of the Taliban, it was said uh, by an American commentator only yesterday that um, it's not a question of whether the forces have the power to uh, overthrow or defend against the Taliban. It's a question of will, uh, and and we see that in so many places. Um, it, it's a question of will. Do do governments have the will? Uh, do big companies have the will uh, to allow the freedom that people are meant to have or do they in fact um, use coercion and fear uh, to make sure that uh, Christian and other views are silenced? Well, you might see some of that coercion happening now as some groups are being cancelled on their social media like Sky News uh, on uh, on the uh, the YouTube platform and uh, other Christian commentators, even like our own Bill Muhlenberg, who we talked to on a Friday, uh, being cancelled from uh, the YouTube platform. Uh, interestingly here, uh, that it's difficult to stop the mob. And we might wonder, if we come back to Asia Bibi for a moment here, here's a woman who decided uh, that she was going to have her faith in God, that she was a Christian. And we might ask here, Ashley, what it is that gives courage and the ability for a Christian to stand, even though there might be a fearfulness of a mob that might be ready to descend on you, and uh, even in a physical attack sense that happens so often in places like Pakistan. What is it that gives you that spiritual intestinal fortitude that enables you to stand in the face of these things and declare faith in Christ? And uh, from what I understand, uh, she had a wonderful encounter with God. Let's not overlook the role of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Let's not overlook the encouragement of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Let's not overlook that Jesus himself was persecuted and said, if, if they persecute me, they will persecute you. You know, when you speak with persecuted Christians, they rarely ask us to pray that the persecution would stop. Most commonly, they ask us to pray two things. Firstly, that they will be faithful in the face of persecution because they know that testifies powerfully to the truth of the claims of Jesus. So faithfulness in the face of persecution. But secondly, to pray for their persecutors that they, like the Apostle Paul all those years ago and many others since, would come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Saviour. And uh, and it's amazing. Uh, we shouldn't be amazed at how God comforts his people who are under pressure. Uh, but he does, by his Spirit. And Asya Bibi's testimony is that her ordeal took her from what she called an ordinary Christian to someone who is really alive in the faith, that uh, that. Uh, God ministered to her in prison and gave her a courage that she didn't know she had uh, to enable her to endure uh, and to persevere. 
We're taking calls 1800 316 316 and you can respond to today's Facebook question. Do you think employers should be allowed to sack workers for using personal social media to discuss their Christian beliefs? Well, some responses here. I'll uh, I'll rattle through a few of these and I'll get your thoughts on anything that stands out uh, that you might want to comment on here, Ashley. Greg says, uh, don't know what happened uh, hang on, so Lena says they should be allowed as they were using their personal social media. Uh, Valma says not at all, that's discrimination. Others freely discuss their beliefs and opinions on social media. Why can't Christians? And Carolyn says my question is why should it not why should it not be allowed when Christians are bombarded every by every other ideology on social media which is directly against Christianity? So a few thoughts there. Anything stand out to you? Uh, yes, the idea that uh, why can't Christians express and defend their worldview when there are others being propagated and in fact we're bombarded with them? Uh, that reminds me of a time when uh, Tony Abbott was Prime Minister and uh, he was roundly criticised as a Catholic Christian because don't you dare bring your religion into this parliament. Almost like you've got to divorce yourself of who you are at the door. And yet uh, other people uh, are able to bring their worldview uh, to bear. You see, it's not as though we're all um, secular humanists, but some of us have a bit of religion tacked on. Um, when, uh, when we adhere deeply to um, a faith, in my case, the Christian faith, it comes to the core of my identity. It comes to who I am. It's not as though the church, some institution called the church, tells me what to say or what to do, but rather uh, a biblical worldview um, frames who I am and how I think and how I act. And uh, and it's legitimate for me to live that out in public. Uh, it's, uh, it, it's entirely legitimate for all Christians to do that. Uh, yes, we are um, bombarded by opposing worldviews, and uh, it is fundamentally important uh, to our being um, having this freedom of conscience that we live it out. I wonder whether uh, I could ex- uh, express or, or pass on a quote from uh, our international director and founder, Dr. Patrick Sukadeo. Uh, this was a quote that um, he gave at a recording of the the summit in America that we've been speaking about. He says, "Our freedom of conscience must be safeguarded." It must be defended, shared, and propagated. And he goes on to say, For it lies at the heart of who we are, men and women created in the image of God. Wonderful stuff. Interesting that you can draw attention to Tony Abbott. And uh, we can say that Tony Abbott's faith has shaped him from those Catholic foundations. And uh, and then, as you say, uh, well-rounded as someone who would be described as bringing his faith into the parliamentary chamber. I wonder whether uh, there's something similar that could be said of our current Prime Minister or something that's not being said about our Prime Minister. Any thoughts here, Ashley? Uh, I, I think, uh, in a sense, society has moved so far that it doesn't really understand a Christian worldview, and it doesn't understand the worldview of someone who is sold out to Christ, someone who finds his or her uh, core identity as being a child of the living God through Jesus Christ, his son. Uh, and, uh, and so there's a sense in which with our current prime minister, uh, people aren't sure what to make of that. Many 
many politicians, uh, many media personalities come from a nominal Catholic background. Um, they don't really understand what it is to have uh, a prominent leader um, who, who at, at whose very core is the idea of uh, Bible-believing uh, Christianity. They don't know what to make of that. Uh, and so, in a sense, he's a target uh, for opposition. Uh, in another sense, um, they, they don't really know how best to target him because they don't really understand it. They perhaps don't understand Pentecostal Christianity. And when we think of Pentecostal Christianity, perhaps we're thinking of uh, this idea, go into all the world and preach the gospel and make disciples and uh, in the power of the Holy Spirit. But Pentecostals are not necessarily known for this deep, ingrained moral fibre that Catholics are known for. And so this idea that perhaps, you know, you've got Tony Abbott being targeted because people will say, how can he not be taking his Catholicism into the parliamentary chamber? But in some ways, people might be seeing our current Prime Minister as a Pentecostal and thinking, as you were saying, the idea of maybe that's just a tack on. Uh, maybe that's just something, an extra little dimension to him that we can tolerate for now because it doesn't actually shape his beliefs. And uh, I am I'm, I don't have uh, any quote or anything in front of me, but, uh, but I, I do recall, I think, uh, the Prime Minister responding to these sorts of questions saying that he doesn't take his uh, religious faith into all the decision-making that happens in the Parliament, which may actually be a problem in itself. Any thoughts around Pentecostals, Catholics, the different denominations we have here, and uh, any thoughts here? I mean, maybe we're in deep waters. We probably are in deep waters, but I'm, <laughs> I guess my contribution, Neil, would be that um, uh, in Australian society, uh, most Australians will uh, will tolerate uh, somebody who they see as pragmatic. Um, and if there is a, a guiding, strong guiding ideology, um, especially one that's opposed to the uh, the, the norms of society increasingly, uh, that's when you get into problems. And so uh, if you're talking about a political leader, uh, if that political leader um, uh, has a particular uh, religious view, as long as he or she is pragmatic, um, that'll be tolerated. Uh, it, and, and I just find that amazing. And so I remember it goes back to the time when, um, uh, when Keating was Prime Minister and he was criticising Howard and, and he was saying about something on the other uh, opposition benches, he was saying, uh, you're only taking that view because that's your ideology. And I'm thinking to myself, what's wrong with having something you believe in? What's wrong with living out? After all, that's what Keating was doing. Uh, but, uh, uh, but that has increasingly become the view, uh, that as long as you're pragmatic, what your private views are don't matter. And I think what you're saying is what we need to see in our political leaders is a certain authenticity. If you claim to be a Christian, let's see some of that authenticity displayed in the way you conduct yourself, whether you are outside or inside the parliament. Uh, we're taking calls, 1-800-316-316, and also taking responses to our Facebook question today, which asks, do you think employers should be allowed to sack workers for using personal social media to discuss their Christian beliefs? And we'll talk about this in just a few moments too, but part of the legislation that is being framed now 
uh, comes around what is called the Falau Clause. And so, yes, Israel Falau still in the middle of all of this because he made a statement on social media and uh, basically uh, was basically sent offshore. We might say he was uh, in some sense deported, uh, not allowed to play his chosen sport. Uh, some more responses here. Debbie says, not unless they sack everyone who uses social media. Uh, Rowan says, nope, if businesses don't want to be associated with their employees' beliefs or opinions, they should have a good social media policy in place that states employees are not to identify that business as their employer on employees' personal social media pages. Any thoughts out of those uh, those responses? Uh, in a sense, that last one also becomes problematic because... Um Uh, What I suspect you'll find is that increasingly employers, and especially large ones, uh, will uh, so define a social media policy that if a Christian employee dared to even identify as a Christian uh, uh, on their private social media post, then uh, it's likely that you're offending the company's policy. Now, in a sense, if uh, if my employer um, is... um, an employer that does not have a particular religious view, so it's not a religious employer, it's a secular employer, Uh, why should it matter what my uh, religious convictions are? Why should we we put up with uh, the idea that my employer can censor, uh, in a sense, who I am? And so... Again, you find that this is about the institutions of the uh, of the country being used to silence uh, and to coerce. And so the government may well wash its hands of this idea and say, oh, we believe in free speech, but your business has the right to be able to legislate in their own employment policies as to what you might be able to do. Doesn't that sound a little bit like what the government seems to be doing with vaccination passports, the idea of allowing business to use its own coercion uh, to rule on those sorts of vaccination passport ideas without the government saying we're going to make this anyway mandatory. Uh, There's a lot of ways government can wash its hands of these things and then doesn't that, Ashley Saunders, hand over the rule to the mob? Yes, and the question is who rules? Uh, Is the law king uh, or does the mob rule? Uh, Is it... um uh, as you say, in washing your hands, in the sense you delegate that responsibility to uh, to companies, and uh, uh, you know, if let let me put put it pretty bluntly, you know, if a liberal member of parliament wants to employ a staffer, uh, isn't it of course important uh, that uh, the staffer who is appointed, he or she has the same liberal worldview and the same with Labor, the same with the Greens, the same with, with anybody else. And, and those very same politicians who would acknowledge that there is um, legitimacy in that uh, would want to wash their hands of it when it comes to uh, people in the wider community. Well, we're taking calls, 1-800-316-316. Let's hear from Graham in Burnie in Tasmania. Hello, Graham. Welcome. Wider community. Well, Graham, you'll need to turn your radio down in the background, Graham. Graham in Bernie in Tasmania. Hello, Graham. Welcome. I can hear myself. Graham, you'll need to turn your radio down in the background, Graham. <laughs> All right, Graham, 
you might have to call us back, but turn your radio down in the background, uh, 1-800-316-316. Hey, uh, I just wanted to touch on uh, the Attorney-General, Michaelia Cash. She's the one who's charged with the idea of presenting this religious discrimination bill. It's all about religious freedom here. Uh, she's under pressure from every side, trying to walk a fine line, trying to please everybody. I sense that's an impossibility. Your thoughts, Ashley? Uh, she's got a very difficult job. And um, uh, I guess when you're trying to um, hold all views in common, that is especially difficult, and that's what she's doing or what she's charged with doing. Um, you know, some of these some of these clauses uh, are potential uh, landmines, so to speak, for individuals uh, and for companies and for uh, and for government, uh, but it really is important that um, the overriding principle that people are entitled to hold their views and to express their views, um, and except in very limited circumstances such as uh, national security and so on. Uh, you know, another mechanism that's used sometimes are these hate speech laws. Now, why should it be regarded as hate speech for me to critique um, a person of um, a different worldview. Now, that's not hate. That, that's that, that's uh, li- serious critique, and I should be allowed to do that. And I think we'd all like to have that ability to be able to talk through the issues. In fact, sometimes understanding our own faith, we do that in comparison to other faiths. So the idea that we not be able to talk about that uh, just limits the, uh, the, the depth and the breadth of the way we can talk about our own faith. Hey, let's come back to this idea I mentioned, the Falau Clause, the idea that you should be able to make a public statement of your own faith, your own belief. If you're stopped from doing that, then you are you are being stopped. Every Australian's freedom is being evaporated in that moment. Uh, that's something that I know that various groups who are lobbying and campaigning this area they're saying this is a clause that has to stay. Any thoughts from you, Ashley? Uh, statements of faith, statements of belief, uh, they ought to be uh, something that is as common as breathing. If if people hold to a particular view, you should be allowed to express that, to state that, to um, defend that. Uh, that's, that's just a fundamental human right, and I don't understand that um, uh, the, the, the pressure for... Uh, views um, not, um, I guess, not in accordance with increasingly uh, where secular society is going. I, I don't understand the importance for those uh, opposing views, let's put it that way, to be silenced, to be pushed down. Uh, statements of faith, statements of belief and living them out are fundamentally important. And they're fundamentally important for every Australian, not just for Christians. Otherwise, how can you have an effective debate in the parliament if someone has an alternative idea? Well, that draws us to the close of our conversation. Ashley Saunders, uh, Barnabas Fund in Australia, uh, people uh, with you at the helm will know that there's a, a real voice here, an advocacy voice. And it's not just for Australians, and we've sort of brought this back to Australians, uh, but Barnabas Fund, an advocate for people in persecuted situations around the world, how can listeners today support Barnabas Fund? Uh, you'll find more information on our website, barnabasfund.org, uh, and uh, there you'll find some contact details if you wanted to call our office and to uh, uh, pass on some thoughts or ask some questions, we'd welcome that. So uh, 
Uh, thank you, Neil, for the opportunity being with you, and uh, may God bless your listeners today uh, wherever they're placed. And before I let you go, of course, uh, restrictions on travel because of border closures and all sorts of things around COVID. No doubt you've been affected by that over the past 18 months. Uh, people can connect with you. You're available for some uh, Zoom gatherings. Uh, you're available as a speaker. Uh, the, the message that comes through Barnabas Fund, listeners will know that that's a pretty important message you're available for all of those sorts of uh, online gatherings? Uh, yes, of course. And um, uh, over the last year and a half, uh, online has become more important. Now, I've got to tell you that I much prefer face-to-face. Um, and uh, I remember in September of last year, the first time I was preaching before, uh, I was preaching at a Pentecostal church on the Sunshine Coast, and I was seeing people's faces. I'd been doing a lot of preaching by Zoom and I was nearly in tears to be able to actually see people face-to-face again. But yes, uh, of course, uh, online is available, but face-to-face is always better. Well, you can connect with Ashley Saunders. He's the CEO of Barnabas Fund in Australia, barnabasfund.org, barnabasfund.org. Ashley, thanks so much for joining us today on 2020. You're welcome, Neil. Great to be with you. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.